0: and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from hobet Books as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hobcast, episode number 116. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: My name is Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we run Hoback Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Mysteries. Crime. thrillers, And suspense. We really put our efforts into that one.
1: Well, it's being flat. <laughs>
0: oh. Noises off, noises off. Welcome to the show. And our guest this week is Louise Mangos. Yes. She joins us from Switzerland.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, lucky her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Probably, um, and I don't mean this to sound weird, but would you say the fittest guest we've ever had on the show? And I mean Not fit.
1: Yes, he doesn't mean in and the ve- foie way. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: I mean, look, <laughs> Louise is, uh, is very much a woman for the outdoors and has... Well, it feels like dozens of outdoor activities that she pursues.
1: I think she's one of those people who cannot sit still, and I don't mean in a fidgety way like me. I mean in a she wants to explore the world, see the world, do things, be active. She's She's got that sort of vibe about her, hasn't she? Yeah,
0: absolutely, and, and a writer of psychological uh, suspense fiction, and um, it was a great interview. We really enjoyed ourselves. We met uh, Louise for the first time in Bristol at Crime Fest, uh, and so, you know, it was... a. Uh, nice to, to reacquaint ourselves, and um, perhaps we'll see her at Bristol in a couple of months' time. Okay, uh, we'll crack into some news straight away, shall we not?
1: Yes, let's crack into the news.
0: Okay, um, now, uh, the stories you've picked out this week, um, the one that intrigues me is the closure of one of the most prominent book retailers...
1: Yeah, so um, I, I confess I don't know a great deal about this company, but when I'm on Amazon, often the books I want aren't in pr- necessarily in print, or they're a little mm. bit more hard to come by. And uh, so when you click on paperback or hardback, and it says also offered by um, these companies, this company comes up quite a lot normally. So Book Depository, they're yes. called.
0: Yes, I bought things from them in the past with stuff that is hard to get hold of.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's a uh, they're basically an online seller. And they were actually uh, bought by Amazon in 2011, which I didn't know. Right. Um, but they're closing. They're closing. So, yeah.
0: And why? Why? What's it?
1: Oh, what? it's just the usual money, business, it, you know. there's
0: <laughs> An Amazon spokesperson told the bookseller, we have taken the difficult decision to close the book depository following a review across the company to prioritize what matters most to customers and the long-term health of the businesses, of our businesses, rather. The spokesman, hello cat, uh, declined to say how many jobs would go specifically at Book Depository. Well, this is, again, Amazon, they are closing a lot of things down at the moment.
1: Yeah, and this always happens during economic um, squeezes, doesn't it? The sort of companies, well, they basically do squeeze themselves. They, they have to cut away the bits that aren't as um, profitable for them for whatever reason, because they need to save money. It's a bit like household isn't it we do the same thing
0: well we do we do and uh well that, i mean that's a shame in the sense of um it is a useful resource for yeah. finding those obscure titles but increasingly i noticed today i mean i was looking for a particular book and the cost if it's not sort of directly in in print mm. the resellers that are getting hold of, I don't know, back copies or whatever they, they're they finding, remainders or stuff that's – they the prices have gone shooting up.
2: And Do this book think?
0: This book was uh, – yeah, I mean, it was 150-odd pages, colour. yes, yeah, some colour printing. But it was about 50 quid. I couldn't oh. believe it.
1: Okay, well, I must admit I haven't uh, looked recently, but I've always – almost the opposite um, to you. I've always, always been impressed with – They do add on the postage, but I've bought books for sort of three, four pounds that, you know, would have been ten pounds when new. And, you know, it says good quality because they always I like how it does that. It'll tell you something about the quality of the book. So, you know what you're getting. Oh,
0: sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used, good quality, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's uh, that's interesting. So they were already part of Amazon's empire anyway, but um, they're closing Mm -hmm. with an undisclosed number of jobs lost. But uh, Amazon have shut a lot of distribution centers across the world. Mm. I think the current rate of, I mean, I think it's something like 24,000 jobs have been announced for closure.
1: Yeah, and it just keeps adding up, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: it does. It keeps totalling up. Uh, well, that's that's sad. Um, I've got a little story, um, which I'm, I'm just going to look up now, uh, which is uh, going back to our my, my pet hate, which is artificial intelligence. I was
1: going to say, there's a number of pet hates you have. That's one of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the other pet hates is people not being prepared at the till, uh, so uh, taking half an hour to put something in their, in their uh, you know purses or whatever. It
1: depends on the age of the person. And the, uh, I do uh, tend well, to forgive I, I, them if they're elderly. Oh no, <laughs> I
0: don't mind that so much. It's but I, I see people who are quite a lot younger than elderly doing that sort of thing, and uh, it it hacks me off.
1: But well, you know what I get frowned at for? Yes. It, and although. I do this, there's something I do, but I always make sure I'm prepared when it's my turn. I get my book out and start reading if I'm in a queue. People look at me as if as if they're thinking ahead in the terms you're talking about. I'm thinking, she's not going to be ready when it's her turn.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about till. Why have we gotten to this? I don't know why. <laughs> my, my mind works like this. Uh, when you get to a till and um, you're still putting things on the conveyor belt, and yet the checkout assistant has already started swiping things through. What? I hate that. Well,
1: how do you cope in um, Lidl, then? Is it Lidl? Lidl's yeah, well, the I, one where they go, I, woom, yeah, woom, Yeah, woom.
0: no, I, I know that's coming. But I think, you know, I expect better from Waitrose. If I'm sorry. But I, I really do. <laughs> or and Marks and Spencer. I really do. Oh, you are know, paying okay. for premium for, for a slightly better service than that. And uh, This is at a time when it's very hard to find anybody at a till nowadays. You have to do it yourself. Anyway, um, no, this thing about AI. So chatbots, I still don't understand what all of that is about, um, to be perfectly honest. But some publishers in the United States are starting to use chatbots to find ways of, you know, discovering keywords, metadata and stuff that's going to generate interest on their online content uh, and drive traffic to mm. their websites. Um, because increasingly these systems are writing articles and blogs and all this sort of stuff. Yes. And it's getting quite sophisticated. And actually it's taking away a lot of traffic from people like us. Genuine real people. Genuine real people. Uh, And so they're fighting back. And the the publishers involved, um, this is them trying to uh, strengthen their position in their search engine optimization or S. which is you know often vital because you really want to be turning up on the first page of google absolutely um publishers like ingenio team whistle buzzfeed and gannett are experimenting with how generative ai technology can support their seo strategies using it to optimize headlines and keywords for search and to find new topics to create content around to drive traffic um and so they've done this. Uh, one TikTok video that Team Whistle used AI to help with research, metadata, and scripting
1: Ooh, got yeah.
0: over 176,000 views. And then a, a YouTube video that also got the help of AI tools was over 425,000 views. But
1: what's their normal viewing?
0: Well, that yeah, unfortunately it doesn't say that. Mm. Um, and they, uh, let me see. Horoscope.com and Astrology.com used... Generative AI since the beginning of 2022 and the publisher is also in the process of producing over 100 articles on the compatibility between each of the 12 signs on horoscope.com using AI.
1: And do you know, if you look up my sign and your sign,
0: we do not We're Not
1: at all. In fact, there's usually a big red danger sign at the top.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that because I've been exchanging messages with an old friend of mine and she said, oh, I thought you'd done the marriage thing. You're not thinking of doing it again, are you? (laughs) <laughs> um. so yeah warning shots warning shots why? well we're just so incompatible if people saw how much we'd argued just before we started recording this programme this podcast you know they'd be saying don't, don't do it love just don't do it then that's
1: to you to you no to you to you see <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's if they th- call
1: me love I'd probably slap them so
0: alright love <laughs> well I've lived in the north for a long time now and I've lived in the north all love. my life. No, you live in the Midlands. It's different. Okay, it's only because when you went to Exeter, everyone thought you were in the north.
1: They did. Yeah, because I was north of Surrey, so obviously I was a northern. Oh
0: yeah, I've never been there.
1: I've never been to Surrey. Anyway,
0: okay, carry on. Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's just one more story that um, I mean, it's it's happened before, and I'm sure it'll happen again. But people who want to work in publishing are very vulnerable. And if they get approached, it's a bit like authors who get approached by companies saying, you know, give me $40 and I will sell your book for film rights or whatever. Their optimism wants them to believe it's real. So Salt Publishing, a small um, publishing house, bigger than us, but, you know, still in that independent sphere, recently been hit by a scam where um, the scammers uh, were using the name of the H.R., Um, director, I think it is, and um, contacting people with um, apparently uh, job opportunities as transcriptionists. I don't actually know what that is.
0: Yeah, well, it's listening to audio and then transcribing.
1: Oh, is it? Oh, okay. And then just asking them for a whole load of identity information and payment things, you know, like they do. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. people do fall for that. Yeah. And it was a complete scam.
0: Oh, well, so that has well presumably done some reputational damage to salt whose identity has been used
1: yeah i mean you know by scammers that could happen to us it could do
0: well it's funny you say that because there are a lot of adverts now particularly on the radio which are talking about you know are you is your business digitally safe and you know is it protected properly and uh recommending that everyone goes to the government website and and tries to stop Thing. And it is a concern because we've got a lot of intellectual property sitting in our laptops, you know, whether it's people's manuscripts or uh, visual assets or audio oh, assets flops, in my yeah. case, you know, and tons and video things and all sorts of things. You know, basically those machines are our, are the, you know, absolute um, crux and fulcrum of our business. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of info in there that could be very useful to someone. Frankly,
1: so when those little pop-ups come up and they say, "Ooh, ooh your F- your location is is un," you know, somebody knows where you are. Should I actually not just? Uh, I'm, not them so, away? I'm not so. I'm not so sure. I don't
0: know enough <laughs> about it, but maybe I should go and investigate. Put that on the list of everything else that uh, is currently on the back burner. Um, anyway, so that's our news for this week, and uh, be interesting to know what comes out of London Book Fair, which is just over a week away now and uh still debating whether we make a, an appearance for a day and knock some stuff out for the podcast maybe and, yeah. yeah i mean as i say it, it was a we we found it very difficult last year and um no this year will be no different i'm sure so uh that's a debate and um but i mean there probably are one or two things or groups of people that we would like to grab a word with in terms of the business so we'll see yeah well uh let's move on to our interview then with louise mangos and uh she is another graduate of the uh crime writing m mm-hmm. a at the UA. university University of east Anglia in norwich uh we have we counted it four authors who've been through that uh, hallowed portal
1: yes <laughs> uh, on <laughs> our books, again
0: and we also uh you know no a few more
1: yeah because they they've got a good community they spirit do. haven't they
0: they do and louise is one of them and uh she has several novels out at the moment and um it was absolutely delightful to catch up with her again let's speak to louise mangos how lovely it is to speak to louise mangos thank you so much for joining us and to see you again
2: oh well it's a so lovely to be here thank you for inviting me
0: it's brilliant. We we met at Crimefest uh in Bristol, I believe.
2: Nearly a year ago.
0: Yeah. And it's coming around fast. And uh we gather you're coming back to Crimefest. So they obviously didn't scare you off the first time.
2: They didn't, no. Um and last year was the first time I um, moderated a panel. So it will be quite interesting to come back and do the same this year. Um I'm moderating a panel on the Thursday afternoon, and then I'm a guest on another on Saturday. So it's quite exciting and it will be great to catch up with the rest of the writing community.
1: So what I liked about you, your attendance at Crime Fest last year was you had chocolate. You were giving away chocolate, weren't you?
2: <laughs> and it might be that I will bring some more again. I have, yes, It's. I think that was a big hit last year. It so. was, yeah. I think I heard people <laughs> talking come. about that, like, oh, free chocolate. <laughs> well, I mean, it,
0: as you live in Switzerland, it is the thing to do. It's either that or bring, um, you know, Dodgy bank accounts, I guess. Uh, it is. I rough.
2: mean, everybody loves that, and um, it 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 ties in with my brand in a way because all three of my published books are set, at least partly, in Switzerland. Two of them are set entirely in Switzerland, and one of them, uh, the main protagonist, lives in Switzerland. So it's appropriate that I should bring the uh, the, the the chocolates for the readers.
1: Cheese <laughs> next time, maybe. <laughs>
2: Yes, might not last as long, though. And, um, I would a hate smelly think, after a while. Yes, and then when you're putting it on the table under all those um, hot lights, you know, it starts melting all over everybody else's uh, um, little publicity cards. Then it <laughs> won't, be so, won't be so welcomed, I don't think. You'll be remembered, though. Yeah, the woman with the cheese, the woman with the smelly cheese. Yeah, there you go. That's not bad. They simply, they yeah. Well, certainly a mark. way to make a mark yes because that's what marketing's all about
1: isn't it a so memorable anyway. when when you,
0: yeah, let, let's 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 just um, focus on that for a second so what what are you moderating what's the what's the subject because that's um it's such a thing about crime fest it, that always strikes me and i look down the list the topics are so wide-ranging it it, it really is extraordinary just how many aspects of society that can be looked at through the prism of crime writing so which which what's your subject that you have to uh, take us through
2: it's interesting because um it is relevant to the to the book that i'll be talking about there it's putting your protagonists under pressure and uh it's it's we'll be talking about how much pressure the writer can put their protagonists under without you know either Undermining their own ability or um, perhaps making it unbelievable. But the interesting thing is, I have four people on my panel, three other authors on my panel who are, have written completely different books. Uh, one of them's a police procedural, uh, one of them is a sort of legal domestic noir and um the other one I'm, I haven't read all of them yet so I'm just halfway through another one which is um a Scottish police procedural that's um Cara Ramsey's on my panel so it's Cara Ramsey Andy Hill and Kia Abdullah so interesting groups of books and it's I'm already thinking about the questions that I should be putting to these people and it's actually quite tricky because um you know When you talk about a protagonist in a police procedural, the protagonist is generally the detective or the the DCI. And I mean, they're going to be put under pressure, whatever. So it's it's you know, I think maybe I'll have to twist a little bit, twist the uh, questions around to talk about some of the other main characters who may be antagonists rather than protagonists. Uh, Yeah, so uh, that'll be great. And then I'm on another panel talking about um, what motivates people to commit a crime in terms of revenge, um, uh, money. um, And that's a a panel that's going to be moderated by Steve Mosby, who is Alex. Oh, yeah. And uh, lots of interesting authors on that panel, including Andrew Child. So I'll be quite, um, oh, uh, well, quite well, interested to be on that panel.
0: Well, um, it, it, funny you say that, because we said we were going to come to Bristol with our Hobeck blend coffee for, for Andrew. <laughs> we, pro- we promised him because he's an absolute coffee nut. When we spoke to him last year, uh, we made that promise. So we're yeah, going to have to fulfill that.
1: Coffee for him.
0: Um, but, yeah, he's he's terrific. And, and what I like about Andrew is, you know, clearly they've got the new book out At the moment, uh, the the latest Reacher, which uh, he and his brother have have worked on, obviously Lee, uh, but Andrew does the majority of the sort of the the heavy lifting nowadays. Um, Just how modest and humble he actually is, and approachable, just fantastic, really
2: approachable. Just was so um, when we all got together and agreed to the panel, he was just so friendly with everybody, and uh, is you know he's quite different from his brother actually because. I mean Lee has has got to a place in his profession where everybody's looking up to him and uh it's it's you know people are in awe in his presence and I think Andrew started out with a very good uh he's very approachable he's um he's very inclusive he he will talk to the um, the fans and people who are interested in, in getting their books published equally as well as obviously some of the big names in publishing. So uh, it's a, it's a delight to talk to him. So I'm looking forward to that panel.
0: That's a great panel. Yeah, that, uh, I know. yeah and, and, and Steve's great too. Steve Mosby. Um, And actually, Every time we go to a festival, he's always there, and we always say, "Right, we're going to get you for this for this podcast." We still haven't no, done it. Not yet, yeah, so
1: maybe this time.
0: Yeah, maybe this is our opportunity. But it, it's it's um, I think it's fantastic Crime Fest for that um, accessibility, mm. more so than than Harrogate, and more so than pretty much any other event. I mean, I think Bloody Scotland rivals it, but in terms of just being able to walk approach somebody if you've got the the courage to do that and ask for advice and I think that's one of the great joys of it isn't it
2: it is um I've been to Harrogate as well and it's huge I mean it's a uh, so Harrogate is more like a, um it's like a hay festival or yes. uh, you know it's you've got people visiting different parts of the of the um, the panels in in tents outside and things like that um Crime Fest there was a bit of a um, there was a bit of a controversy last year after Crime Fest, it, um, Authors were complaining, actually, that uh, why do they have to pay for their tickets if they're going to appear on a panel? And it's like voucher in the US. It's not it's a convention rather than a festival like Hay or Harrogate. And it gives a chance for authors indie authors self published authors um authors who might have not had a u- a new book out um for a couple of years it gives everyone a chance to pitch themselves for a panel and i think it's uh, a wonderful thing for all ends of the profession because you get the the uh, you know andrew charles and the and the ian rankins and Anne cleaves but you also get the the Mees and the you know the people who uh, are <laughs> Who are just um, not struggling, but they're on the other end of the scale. They're on the other end of the publishing scale, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah.
1: No, I totally agree. And also, the conversations you could argue a bit more interesting because of that, because you've got people on the same panel with different levels of experience, rather than you know Harrogate. They're all sort of similar level. Well, I think I it. think
0: the thing with Harrogate is that everyone's got their rehearsed patter because they do so many of these festivals. They know, you know, they're so comfortable, and yet. Uh, you know you've got an opportunity to rub shoulders with um, with you know perhaps bigger names and and shine and I think that's that's really important and I I think the one thing I would say about to be critical of CrimeFest was that the bar ran out
2: I think Adrian and Donna felt terrible about that and uh, I think everybody complained about that and <laughs> it was just the post-covid situation lack of staff and I felt terribly sorry for them because um, it didn't happen the year before the previous time that the, they had the um, uh, crime fest in that particular hotel and so Adrian has promised that he would do his best to make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh yes, that is a disastrous thing to happen at a crime festival. <laughs> <laughs> far close. It's just that too hard. many sober <laughs> writers.
0: Well, uh, it felt like you know it was it was the starting point of a of a murder mystery because people yeah. were <laughs> <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Losing it. But anyway, let, let's move away from, from from crime fest. Let's let's talk about um your career today. And and what struck me is um there's a bit of a chord here, actually, with um, a number of our guests in recent weeks who have had their literary careers inspired by an early foray into competition. And in mm. your case, uh, you were quite young when you won a poetry competition, and and and, and that's <laughs> that seeded your love of of the written word. Um, tell us about that.
2: Oh yes, gosh, I was only eleven, um, and I won a, a poetry competition. It was a, a poem I wrote for a competition about Mother's Day and we had to write about our mothers and it was for the do you remember Platinum pens I don't even know yes. if they still exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they had sponsored the competition it was a national schools competition and uh, I won first prize in in this category and um, I was given um my mum got a huge bunch of flowers and i was given a camera and then my my poem was published in the local hitchin gazette and uh, and <laughs> I, I, I was absolutely just it was so exciting and I mean I've always I always even like writing. The very first time I picked up a pencil and a and a an exercise book. There's a smell you get when you open oh, yeah. a new exercise book. I don't know what it is, it's the chemicals in the paper, it's the smoothness of the paper. And I just every time I open a new one, I stick my nose in it. And I always wanted to just fill books with words. And uh, so, yeah, this poem, the the poetry competition certainly was a catalyst to writing some possibly terrible poetry in my teens. And then I started to write short stories. And as I also travelled a lot, I kept journals uh, along my travels. And so writing has always been part of my um, just. What I do when I'm not doing active things, writing and reading. And but but interestingly, I haven't, I didn't get my first novel published until oh, I won't tell you how old I was, but that was uh 2018. So it was a long time after I'd won that first poetry competition. I had actually won other competitions in the meantime for my short stories. And my debut, *Strangers on a Bridge*, was a finalist in the Exeter Novel Award, and was also longlisted in Bath. So, mm. that was it was, it's? I felt like at least I know I can write if people are are putting me on shortlists and long lists.
0: Mm. But you you studied creative writing and journalism in the United States.
2: I did, yes. So that was in my mid-20s. It was quite early on. I thought, oh, I want to write for, um, I'm I'm a a real active person and done lots of sports. I still do lots of sports. And I thought, oh, I want to write for Outside Magazine. This was my big thing in my 20s. I wanted to be a, a journalist for National Geographic and Outside Magazine. You know, aim high. And uh, so I went and did this, um, I started out doing journalism, actually, uh, did the introduction to journalism at uh, CU in Boulder. And my teacher came up to me one day and she said, you know, your writing is very, um, she didn't use the word florid, but she said, it's not quite the the stunted necessity for, for journalism. You need to be short, sharp, punchy uh, sentences for journalism. She said, and I see you writing writing really beautifully and I think you should go and do a creative writing course Mm. so it was under her um recommendation that I studied poetry and creative writing at CU then and uh I didn't stay long enough to actually graduate with anything other than a a, you know several semesters of credits and it wasn't until I came back to Europe that I did a couple of sort of week-long writing courses and uh, always keeping up with the trying to improve the craft and then I went to UEA and did the crime writing I just latched on to an idea that my stories would would have a crime or series of crimes at their heart and so I thought well may as well sign up to this crime writing course and I was joyfully accepted didn't think I would get on that because I hadn't had you know I haven't I don't know why I didn't think I'd get on it but um just through modesty, I suppose. But yes, and that's where I met all the other members of the cohort there, including Anthony. So, and that's been a great resource as well.
0: Absolutely. Anthony Dunford, we're referring to, whose latest book you've read already and uh, Born the Same, it is coming out for, in time for Crime Festival. Nice for he's also on a panel. Yes. so uh, we... <laughs> I
2: actually, I was actually, um, I thought, oh, well, that would have been a good panel for me to be on. His panel mm. is called Location, Location, Location. And, uh, of course, his book's set in Central Africa, which is it's very exciting, very action-packed, and I really enjoyed that read. But I thought, oh, I I should be on that panel because my books are set in Switzerland. <laughs> so we're talking about location, you know, going from Central African... Um, the Congo to um the Swiss Alps that would be an interesting conversation but no I, cold <laughs> I was put on another panel but that's okay
0: <laughs> well that's a, that's one of the random elements isn't it in terms of that UEA experience and and obviously we have a number of our authors who've been through that um, that process and that that Experience. I shouldn't process is probably the wrong word, but experience yeah. is certainly. In we've got Judy Dakin, we've got Wendy Turbin, we've got Lynn Laversha Mark A- Whiteman, Mark Whiteman, and Anthony Dunford. <laughs>
1: yeah, can you name you all.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Have I covered everybody? I yeah, hope I so. Think so. Um, it is one of the things that strikes us when we talk to our authors about that experience is that group critical work where you know you split off into I don't know groups of six or something like that and you are writing for each other and, and and each other's critical process then is applied. That's, that's quite a challenge, isn't it?
2: Well, it's, it's probably the one resource I say that uh, I've come away with that I felt was most worth, most worthwhile. Um, we had some fantastic visiting professors. Our courses were very interesting, but honestly the greatest thing is meeting these other people Who are all at the same level in 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 writing in their writing careers at the time, and who are all have you sort of learn how to critique each other's work. After a while, you know what's too much or what's too little, and uh, I think that is has been the greatest resource for me. I, Anthony and I share each other's work, all of them. I mean, Judy as well. She was in our cohort, and um, Mark was in the year before. But really, that group of 12 writers, there are still six or seven of us who each share each other's work. And and we graduated, we finished in 2018. So it's been a while. And five years later, we are still helping each other. And it's the best resource i love
1: that though the fact that you, when you graduated it wasn't just that's the end that actually you're carrying yeah. on that, that relationship bond,
0: that bond is and it's very valuable yeah. because
1: um, you know the writers who partly because they're so um insecure about their work but also they haven't got that resource because they haven't got yeah because it's, it's quite a scary thing isn't it to expose your work to um, people who were quite intelligent, and also very big thinkers about writing and the
2: craft of writing, and so well, was that quite scary the first time you did that? It was definitely scary the first time I did it. I mean, I'm thinking back to when I wrote my debut, uh, debut, and uh, that was. So that it was a, it took about 8 years for me to write my first book because it started out as one iteration and then I started writing a sequel and then I ended up putting the two books together for one novel and I I didn't have a lot of people I could swap work with or ask to be a critical reader because at the time I didn't know that many other authors and there's a difference to having a friend or a member of your family Mm. look at your work and having another author or somebody you don't know who has experience in writing, look at your work, that two completely different critical eyes and to, and definitely the former is not a terribly useful um, uh, resource. I'd say the latter is, is, you have to send your work out to beta readers. And and sometimes even to people you don't know is probably the best. And that it's that you have to swallow and, and say, okay, I'm going to do this because you know you're going to get back far more useful information than you would if, uh, you know, your mum says, oh, this is really good. <laughs> Sounds like my mum.
0: <laughs> uh, doesn't sound like your mum. Your mum would go, why are you wasting your time on this?
1: Yeah. Oh. Okay? <laughs> Yes. no I mean,
0: you know she's in terms
1: of art so because I know you're an artist as well so in, yeah. uh, and I've done a fair amount of art my mum always says to me why don't you paint flowers and pretty things
2: oh yeah so it's like um I do have people that look at a picture and oh I could do a little bird there No. <laughs>
1: so... <laughs> so I think my mum's going to go to a grave hoping that I would just paint pretty things <laughs> not not these blobs as she calls them <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well I, you, you, your 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 art is fantastic too a lot of landscapes there that i, I had a quick look through your I online love, gallery
1: so my favorite is i think it's the, the red
2: peppers mm. oh really i of love course. that one <laughs> so i was walking through um a market in barcelona and uh it was the santa catarina food market which is just the most amazing place for color inspiration and um and there was this massive pile of peppers that had been <laughs> so artistically placed like that that was actually from a photo and uh, they really were pla- placed like that and uh yeah I love I love doing I love uh, painting things like that I think um I'm going through a water and mountain stage at the moment I love painting lakes and rivers and waves and we've just come back from New Zealand and I have a whole load of um Uh, material that I'm going to start working on for new canvases soon we I do have an attic full of canvases I don't sell as many paintings as I do books so I'm not (laughs) sure how long
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting because I had the same problem when we moved here I I actually had to throw a lot away because we just have nowhere to put all my old art. I, I know. Well,
2: I'm going part. to start, I think I'll start painting over them. I'll be, I'll, you know, and maybe one day long after I've gone, somebody will find something in the attic and go, oh, there's there's a real masterpiece underneath. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so you'll be on that programme. What's that programme called? BBC programme with Fiona Jobbies, I think it is. Fiona Bruce. Where, where they, they is it a fake? Is it real? Oh, oh, right. There's a painting underneath. <laughs>
0: yeah I go through the layers no it's fantastic um where where would you assess you know now that you've you've got the the course 2018 three novels published now um where would you assess your career to date i mean how how, how would you assess and what are you what are your plans for future okay books?
2: well um you've caught me at a very interesting period in my career to date because it has been like riding a roller coaster. It really has. Um, I'd say I'm still evolving and I've learned so much about publishing over the past four or five years. My first two books were published by a Digital First Publisher, HQ, and my third book was published by a Red Dog, Sean Coleman. And all three of them have been on their own little roller coasters. And last year, I um, actually, no, it was this year, I completed the reversion of the rights back to me. And I've been learning about self-publishing and uh, I got myself an agent and she said, look, we don't want to lose the reviews of all these books. So what you need to do in the meantime is pop them up on Amazon and the review's Transfer the reviews over to those eBooks, and then um, she said she would find a homes for my backlist. So in the meantime, I also have two books out on submission um, to uh, regular publishers. But what has happened in the meantime is I've taken control. I feel very empowered, and I thought, oh, I'll pop a little bit of uh, invest a little time in advertising these books, and. Holy moly I start earning money from these books and um it's become a bit of a a bit of a new uh it's a new point in my career where I think well why don't I try this hybrid thing I have a colleague um in Switzerland Linda Huber who's one Linda of the yes oh, Linda one of your most successful authors and she is successful because she's a hybrid author and her I think her self-published books do equally as well. She's she has a great following, she's built her audience, and I'm in that process right now of deciding whether to my my latest works whether they should continue to be submitted to traditional publishers or whether I want to go ahead and 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 do this indie thing so yeah. I'm in an interesting period and I haven't decided for sure um but the the books are selling well and I think well why not go for paperbacks too because I know they're not everyone's favorite platform but mm. Amazon do sell books and uh, it's the most accessible for a lot of people um not necessarily advocating everybody should do that but um it's for people you know it might be for people who are having difficulty getting onto the the big five publishing ladder which is very challenging in today's day and age yeah well well, the publishing
1: landscape is so different now to how it was even 10 years ago i mean linda Huber's a really good example so she's published three books with us but she is so prolific isn't she she's got sort of her backlist titles as well but And she's doing other um, genres and she's really good at the advertising and the promotion. Um, We think she should give a masterclass actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's actually, she's helped me a lot because um, uh, more recently, for example, I just said saying about having to invest in advertising and my Amazon advertising didn't seem to be having a great return on investment. So she said, well, you must go and try Facebook again. So, and remember to tweak your audiences and she's, you know, she's, she's very helpful and uh and sure enough right now facebook advertising seems to be the one that's working so it's uh it's all and it but it changes it changes as you say the landscape's changing not only is the landscape changing the marketing landscape is changing all the time and honestly i don't know whatever sells books this week maybe next week it'll be something completely absolutely different true. Yeah, absolutely yeah and that's
1: so hard isn't it because we find that as well that I, I set up a Facebook campaign a couple of weeks ago for one of our series, and it just flopped. And oh, I would followed okay. all the, the 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 methods that I knew, and so I've completely changed how I've done it
2: this week. And work. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, because at, the only other thing I would have to say is anyone that gets into indie public like self publishing, there is a lot of time consuming admin to do and unless you keep on top of those ads that it's it's it can get get away from you and so i can't imagine what it's like for hobeck as an indie publisher to keep control of all your authors on every you know in all the platforms and authors who have different books each book has a different advertising campaign mm. so it's <laughs> oh, it, it's a lot of work
0: yeah you're telling me
2: yeah and there's tiktok <laughs> as well
1: i've started using tiktok so yeah. <laughs> well I mean that
0: that is our challenge that is our number one challenge and and, and in a way it's it's a funny thing it, it, you know this is something that we always come back to which is this this the point I make sometimes which is essentially Hoback, and indeed any publishing company its principal job now is the marketing and that's the hardest thing to keep abreast of and keep um m- making it work indeed sometimes it just doesn't And you can spend a lot of money delivering very little. And that's very, very, uh, wary, but that is the nature of it. I mean, all the other stuff that you do, supporting authors and all the production process and the editing and all that stuff is all very important. And, 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 you know, take that as written that you can do that. That's
2: the fun stuff. That's the fun. fun, And that's
0: the stuff that draws you. you. You get drawn towards that. And the other stuff is, is, is a chore really. Yeah. Um, it's just
1: frustrating I just I, I enjoy marketing I enjoy it but when it I
0: find works
1: frustrating.
2: it's really nice when it works I think I make a campaign and then I see those graphs start rising next week and that's oh yes I'm selling books and then suddenly it it just for no reason at all the 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 buyers drop off and it's like oh gosh how what am I going to do to get them back up again you know what what So, you know, I do a couple of Instagram posts or um, I don't know if that works. I don't know if Twitter works. Um, (laughs) Anything you throw money at should work because uh, everyone should be winning. Um, But uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, it is tough. It's really tough, but it's not so fun as writing. For me, it's not as fun as writing the book. I quite enjoy looking at, uh, for example, I have designed my own cover for my second book. Um, The Art of Deception and I quite like it but I've asked a lot of people and they go well it doesn't really follow the tropes that are that people are looking for in that kind of book so although I like it because I'm an artist and I think oh that looks very artistic I have to be careful and see whether that cover will actually sell or whether I need to look at putting you know I don't know I hate to say it but a girl in a red coat on it or something like
1: that I mean, that's a problem we have all the time, isn't it? Because mm. me also being um, artistic, and we we tend to go on gut feeling, but then I send it to the heart team, and sometimes they say, mm, "I wouldn't have picked it up in a bookshop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't have
2: known it was about that." And I think, oh, <laughs> and I'm so as I like doing that too, and I think, well, who do I ask? You know, I need to ask. Um, um, Uh, publishing expert and all the cover specialists of course are going to take your money before they decide whether your book cover if they if they can give any advice on your book cover or suggest one of their own so it's it's actually quite an expensive um, part of the process I think but the cover design is so important Mm. I think you're right you know people you have to ask people whether they're going to pick that up in a bookshop or even pick it up on on amazon when they click you know do they Mm. like that cover is does it make them click it yeah one week it works and one week it doesn't for me so Mm. i'm looking at that very carefully at the moment covers
0: yeah absolutely it it, did yeah it's probably the most important decision one makes
2: Well, when i worked in publishing
1: the covers meetings that we used to have were terrifying because the poor designer would be stood at the front with his look what i made and the salespeople would say, "Yes, yeah, can't have that. We're not going to be able to sell that. We can't take that to the bookshops. So They'll just laugh at us. <laughs>
2: be really brutal." That is brutal because if you think about it, it's it, you know the cover designer is an artist, as mm. the writer is an artist creating words. Cover designers creating a cover. You'd think that they could be a little bit more gentle about um, suggesting things <laughs> for those covers, but uh, no, I can imagine that happens actually. And uh, I, I have to say, though Anthony's covers, I love his cover, and uh, the designer's done a great job on on his books. Um,
0: yeah, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, Jane,
2: Jane is ace. <laughs>
0: yeah, she 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 did, and I, I, well, I mean, I think we'll look again at Hunter because, in a sense, you know, Jane as a as a designer it was one of her earliest designs, if not mm. her first. And now she's she's developed, in fact, a second because after Robert Dawes. Yeah, book. so
1: she done Robert Dawes and Anthony. Yeah,
0: um, um, but I think that. The the new one is is oh, absolutely spectacular. It's beautiful. I can't stop um, looking at it. Yeah. so orange the... is
2: my favorite colour, which means that of course I'm gonna pick that up in a bookshop. So
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's why no, we, that's right, why man. we did that. Um so we can get one sale at least. No. <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> You'll get more than that. Not that bad. <laughs> no, not at all. Um it, it's you you were saying, you know, you clearly at at the junction. Where you're making a decision as to where to place your your creativity, but in terms of that creative process, you're out and about a lot. In terms of you know, you're talking about your your sporting um, interests and taking advantage of the fact you're in the Alps uh, or near the Alps. It's that's do do ideas strike you while you're you're doing all <laughs> that sort of thing, the, the mountain lifestyle.
2: Oh, they do. Um, interestingly, yesterday. Uh it's really cold and horrible here at the moment by the way and we don't have snow but it's cold so I can't do anything outside at the moment cycling I froze my toes off cycling the other day um and yesterday I went for a swim a really long swim in our local pool and uh I've been thinking about uh, my fourth work which is I've kind of got two or three works in ready to be submitted um but something wasn't something was niggling me about my fourth work. i had it's a it's a um psychological suspense again, and it has a group of six people in it. It's called six fatal floors and the uh, a psycho psychotherapist baby goes missing and all six, including her, so five of her uh, former patients and her come under suspicion and it goes through each of the characters how each of them could possibly have been um, guilty of this crime but at the end when we find out who it is i my resolution didn't feel exciting enough and i was trying to think what on earth i could do to make it a little bit more exciting i've been thinking about it for months and yesterday i was swimming and ding ow, oh my. in about after about a kilometer i just had this revelation and i've come home and i've typed all these notes and uh, <laughs> I'm going to be rewriting the uh, last couple of chapters of that book. So I, I'm very excited. And that, that that happens often. So I've spent, you know, most of the day, writing day, on my bum in front of the uh, laptop and uh, writing lots of words. And you can get to, I think you can get too desk bound. And the imagination needs to flow. So that's going off to do my sports is definitely part of the writing therapy and i could not do without it so when i'm stuck or when i think oh i don't know where to go with this chapter go for a walk go for a swim go for a bike ride go for a cross-country ski and really i always come back with some kind of solution so yeah i i definitely need that in um as a kind of aid or a therapy to my writing I love that cross-country ski is in the same list as swimming and cycling. And... <laughs> if only. Yeah. I haven't been able to do much this year, though. I mean, I'm yeah, this is a bit of a – um. so, yeah. I, my husband is a Kiwi, and we go to New Zealand for six weeks or so each year. So this February we went to New Zealand. I missed out in, in the entire snowy bit of our winter because we've had <laughs> – A really short winter in the Alps. And I've actually only cross country skied twice this entire season. um, And I really missed it. (laughs) But, you know, swapping that for a beach in New Zealand isn't
0: such a hardship.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, sort of. mm. Lots of open water swimming. New
0: Zealand, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, We've got to the point now.
1: Oh, have we? We have, have yeah. We have. Related as well to the question. Oh,
0: good, 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 good. Well, in which case, I I shall give it the build up. Rebecca's random question.
1: Right, I want you to consider all forms of the following when you tell me your favourite. What is your favourite mode of transport and why?
2: Well, of course I should say skis, but it's not (laughs) really a mode of transport. Um, Oh, no, no, I I consider anything that gets you from A to B, whether it's fast, slow, driven by someone else or yourself. Otherwise I'm going to say kayak.
0: Oh, really? So,
2: yes. that um, I've done... A, Chris, Chris, my husband, and I did a lot of river kayaking before we had children. Then when we had children, I considered it a little bit too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so now we do ocean and lake kayaking. And I absolutely love kayaking between islands or across our lake or... Yeah, that's probably my favourite mode of transport. Completely unmotorized, Um so human powered and also water i love being near water i'm a water baby so uh
1: mm, i was gonna say i get a sense of that that you're drawn to water
0: I, I, yes. it's interesting with the kayaking thing i mean i because i have the world's tightest hands hamstrings it's so difficult for me to get into the boat let alone then
2: yes stick
0: it out it, you know because lower back goes and everything tightens up and I'm um, i'm in in a world of pain uh the last time i tried it was in the sea at Swanage in Dorset. And I managed to miss getting in um, uh, and, you know, just slid off the back, the the side uh, and, you know, full immersion in the sea uh, to the merriment of my my kids. That's Um, the
2: hardest thing, though, is getting in and out of the thing. It's always the hardest part. Probably getting out is even harder than getting in, I would say because you can slip in, but getting out, you have to sort of, you have to make sure your paddle is flat against the, the jetty so that the boat doesn't tip, and then you've got to push yourself up. So I think getting out is even harder than getting in. Yeah. need really strong arms. Well, I mean,
0: I can't even get out of our bath at the moment because it hasn't oh. any handles or anything, so that's, you know, that's out. I'm a shower man now as a result. Um,
1: <laughs> What's your favourite mode of transport then?
2: I, don't I always you, say the question. I, I don't use don't. I, I would actually say he must not get into a kayak. It yeah,
0: that, that ain't happening. I mean, you know, if, if it's waterborne, then my favorite form of transport is a punt. Oh
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, a, Cambridge, it yeah, would
0: be. The, the Cambridge thing. And and I was one of the few people in my uh in my sort of sixth form college who could punt. And I took, you know, took took quite a long time to to, to master. Once you got the steering right, yeah. It's dead impressive when you're taking <laughs> taking a you know your friends out for for a punt and, you know, steering out of all the trouble when you see all the the tourists are sideways across the river and all that sort of thing, and you're able to just elegantly steer your way around it.
2: Did you use it to uh, entice the ladies?
0: I was going to get to that, (laughs) yes. Yes, Yes, um, I
2: was going to say, that is always the attractive thing. A boater and, uh, oh, those Cambridge guys handsome when they're punting up and down the camp.
0: Yeah, that that (laughs) was my kind of shtick. But my my party trick was to... um, While punting, I would let, there was a a bridge. If you go out towards Grantchester, so there's two parts of the rivers, the upper river and the lower, and the the backs that everyone knows through the colleges. But you go out on the upper river to Grantchester, a beautiful place with the water meadows and all that sort of thing. Um, There's a bridge, a footbridge uh, that crosses the river. And if you're, uh, when I was younger and stronger and lighter, I was able to put the pole lengthways in the boat, Pull myself up over this bridge while the the boat's travelling, <laughs> giving it momentum, and I'd be able to time it so that I would jump over the bridge and jump back into the boat without toppling it, and uh, and then resume punting. That's and a that pretty my, good
2: party trick.
0: That was my party trick. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I you, you just beggars belief that I could do that now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> see you, repeater.
0: <laughs> Next time I go, stay.
2: Did you have a hundred percent success rate right, with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, you? I've never oh, I've never right.
0: fallen in the camp. I've never point. fallen in the camp. Uh, How about
2: with the ladies?
1: Did they go, Oh, oh that's amazing. Let's go on a date.
0: <laughs> There's always someone who's going to be impressed by something <laughs> like that, especially if you've if you've um, what you do is you you fill up with jugs of pims um at the uh the mill pub, which of is course. sort of equidistant between the, you know, it's right on the sort of apex of the two different rivers. Yeah. And then when you get to Grantchester, you jump out, go to the Green Man and refill your jugs, and then so <laughs> you do do a couple of lengths, uh, and by that point, someone's going to be impressed by that little trick. So uh, are you yeah. still
1: able to do it after a couple of jugs of pims?
0: Just about. <laughs> um,
2: yes, indeed.
0: Well, the other thing, the other trick was to actually get some one of the girls to punt, and then they realise just how skilled. The yeah, whole thing that's is, you true. Because you're going sideways, crashing into. For your... Especially if you there's a little elbow in the river cam called the um devil's um Elbow. devil's corner <laughs> and it's where you can't the pole is too short to reach the bottom
2: oh.
0: and um and it always catches the unwary out so they lose, it, their poles. It, it, they lose their poles and they get stuck in the you know they literally push it down and it doesn't go and they just floats off down river and um
1: it's like a pole graveyard yeah
0: and so that was always the point where i used to give control of the boat to somebody's <laughs> 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 Just to make it look even more You're impressive, oh, it, it's terrible. But I did take my. Sorry about this. Um, I did take my my son's canoeing, uh, well, not kayaking, but it was kind of the Canadian's, you know, kneeling down yeah. version. Yeah. And uh, my little lad James, at the time, would have been about five,
2: I think. Oh, that's young.
0: Yeah, and we got to Devil's Corner, and, and we'd been winding him up that this is where the devils live, um, <laughs> and I. Uh, i got my other son ben who was eight to we both chucked our paddles uh, pretended to lose them and drifted into devil's corner at which point james was so scared that the he devils were gonna out, he, he? he he jumped oh, into the river when in his
1: oh his... you mean it yeah
2: oh, bless him that's so mean <laughs> that, that is, is really mean <laughs>
0: absolutely terrible he was wearing it obviously a, a, a you know life jacket and 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 we managed to haul him back in but yeah anyway uh, what's your favourite transport well
1: i do love skiing but mine is my micro scooter which i haven't got out for a while but i used to scoot everywhere
2: on it so
0: yeah,
1: we
2: have loads of those in switzerland i've seen them all over now they, they they were actually the the most i'd seen um dead micro scooters in um new zealand they just people stop and leave them in the middle of the street and they're now talking about um, e-rubbish. You know, having these e-bike rubbish. It's 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 just all over. You you can't walk down a pavement without having to step over scooters that have just been left there by because they have these companies that that you know. Oh, I know, yeah, like the the Boris get bikes. On your phone and rent them out, and yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> just everywhere. But yeah, they look like a lot of fun. I think I'd tell if my kids had one of those today, I'd definitely be telling them they have to wear helmets and elbow pads and knee pads and everything. They look pretty dangerous. I think they can go quite fast. They can. can. So
1: there was one particular hill. I I did my art degree in Wolverhampton. So I would take my scooter on the train and then scoot from the train station to the art building. And there was one slope. And I would just like, Oh, zoom down that slope, but yeah, quite dangerous now when I think about well, it.
0: Well, it, it's funny. We could all, I'll tell you what we can do. When we go to Bristol, we can get the the e-scooters out because it's a big thing there. Uh, oh, is a, it? Yeah, Massive. Yeah. Going past our hotel, you know, the e-scooters and there's e-scooter lanes and everything. So it's a really big deal in the middle of Bristol. So we should, we should have a crack at that.
2: We'll do that. Yeah. It's a lot of <laughs> traffic though. I don't know if I'd like to be scooting in and out of that heavy traffic around Bristol.
0: No, not at all. But, you know, we'll see. OK, we well. We
2: scoot in the hotel lobby.
1: That'd be good.
0: With,
1: uh, <laughs> I don't know if you'd be very popular.
0: <laughs> Andrew Child on a on an we East Cooter. Knock,
1: knock Andrew Child over. That would be a bit. Actually,
0: I think Anne Cleves is going to be a devil in one of those things. She, she'll she'll, oh, she'll she be Oh,
1: she'd so go for a scooter, wouldn't she? Yeah, she
0: she would. Yeah, she would. It's been an absolute pleasure, Louise. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you online?
2: So people can find me online at uh, louisemangos.com www.louismangos.com, but they can find my books on the Big A Amazon, and uh, there are three books there at the moment. Uh, fourth one possibly coming soon, and yes, more books in the pipeline. So, Excellent. yes, fantastic it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting
0: me. So, scooting on e scooters around Bristol uh, is in prospects in just over a e- month's time.
1: E scooter business, normal scooters.
0: Oh, well, I know you were talking about. It normal scooters but i think that cross wires there
1: yes although i think louise could cope with a normal scooter oh i'm sure
0: she could (laughs) i don't think the normal scooter could cope with me although i am a little bit less bulky than i was yes you are
1: disappearing in front of my eyes because you are not eating much in the way of carbohydrates no i'm
0: not it's been amazing actually.
1: Last night we had pasta meatballs and I spiralized a courgette for you.
0: You did. And you
1: know what? My right arm is now bigger than my left arm.
0: (laughs) I'm not kidding. No, no, I think you're right. No, you've been amazingly (laughs) supportive. But uh, yeah, I I basically got a kick up the behind from uh, my diabetes nurse.
1: Literally, I have photos.
0: And um, that was about six weeks ago now. And uh, the changes that I've made since that day and I I mean I have to give uh, great credit to her because she um, she spent an hour with me going through everything I mean you know why do I eat the certain things I was eating and have done for decades and uh, somehow for the last six weeks managed to pretty much stay on straight and narrow.
1: Yeah now there's a couple of times when you've almost wobbled but to your credit you've pulled yourself away from the wobble and just got on with it
0: yes that's true now
1: we had donuts in the house a couple of days ago. still
0: sitting there the one with my name on it
1: and what I I like about you is the fact you look at me and there's donuts as if if I say oh have one (laughs) that stops you feeling guilty Mm. so I don't say it
0: (laughs) no it's been it's been amazing I mean one of the eyes on the prize is that uh, we are set to get married in December and I really don't want the photos reflecting um you know beauty and the beast you being beauty and me being the beast um i want to i want to sort of shrink to fit into a suit and i have, I have a certain set of measurements in mind that i've got to get down to
1: that makes me think of that wallace and gromit scene where he sort of mm. falls into the suit
0: <laughs> into the wrong trousers
1: wrong trousers that's it wrong trousers sorry. yeah
0: you're right uh in terms of our week to come uh well it's pretty much the usual the, the kids are been with us for easter which has been lovely but um you know it'll be filled very empty without yeah them around.
1: it will but i've got plenty to occupy myself with yeah
0: you've got so much on at the moment as usual and i have two i've got to finish my last of the legionary books which i've been telling you about and i really hope that um in the near future we can get the author gordon doherty to to join us um on the on the program so uh, there's,
1: there's one bit of exciting development There's not it Piece of exciting development in Hobart Books that um, I've been working on quietly in the background. Um, we've just taken over the Henshaw Press short story competition. And this is a competition that runs four times a year. And uh, people are invited to submit short stories of up to 2,000 words on any subject they like. Could be cats, could be wheelie bins, anything and there's a prize first prize is 200 pounds um second prize is 100 i think and the prize is 50 every four times a year and we're taking on this challenge and so i'm i'm a bit nervous but excited as well i'm
0: just <laughs> resisting the words to say we are uh, <laughs> yeah we, we cuz uh, you're
1: oblivious aren't you no,
0: well yeah i've been in a bit of a bubble my narration bubble for so long now and, uh, my voice is a bit croaky today cause I did just done two mega chapters and I want to get two more done before I close the play as we record this today. And, um, it has been a bit all consuming really in a very positive way, but at the same time, uh, there is a growing to do list on all sorts of aspects of life, not just to do with the business. Um, and, I'm I'm looking forward to writing that down sometime in the next week and <laughs> getting on top of it. Um but yes.
1: Yes. So, so that that's that the the first one that we are in charge of opens on the 1st of May, but details on our website.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't wait for that. So uh somewhere along the line in terms of we've got to read our submissions and now we have short stories to, to
1: i know and one of our authors i'm not going to mention who uh emailed me yesterday saying i've just finished the next book if i send it to you can you read before crime fest and i said yeah <laughs> so we have lots to read lots to read
0: yeah well that's great because there's a never-ending supply of fresh material <laughs> but i have got a, a to be read pile of many thousands of books uh on top of that but um yeah read for pleasure who needs that um well look it's been a real pleasure to speak to you all and thank you for joining us again for the Hopcast book show. Um, we are still slowly cogitating and working our way through what we're going to do with the, the show to take it to a new level.
1: So that's also on your to-do list.
0: Yeah, and um, that is very much on my to-do list, and I am looking forward to in May actually there is the uh, the, the big sort of podcast show in London, which I think would be very valuable in terms of, uh, you know, seeing where the industry is going, because we're part of it. We are part of it. This, this podcast is a significant chunk of, um, you know, our sort of creative effort. Absolutely.
1: Highlight of my week.
0: Yeah, as you say. Um, and uh, the opportunity for us to fight before we switch the microphones on, which is great. But anyway, thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get it from. And uh, also to look at our website, www.hobeck.net. And all the details of our authors, our books, audio books, et cetera, all there. And uh, we would like, well, we'd be delighted if you go and have a little look, sign up to our newsletter and get your free copy of Crime Bites.
1: And also my weekly Sunday musings.
0: Which I can't wait to read a little later <laughs> when you've written them. Thanks so much for joining us. My name's been Adrian Hobart.
1: And my name is still Rebecca Collins.
0: Not for much longer, a few months' time. <laughs> uh, Maybe. Yeah. It's been a a, pleasure to speak to you. Thanks very much. And, uh, well, I'll leave you with the the, the very warm words of we hope you have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobec Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobec.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.